have just sung there, and uh, truly we look to God to, to minister as only He can. Invite you again to turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Our lesson this week is chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. <clears throat> I'm sure every one of us have said it at one time or have had it said to us, what are you wearing? Um, I won't get into husband-wife communications in that regard, but um, I'm certain that as a kid, um, my parents said to me at times, what are you wearing? I mean... You know how a kid is. They, a, a boy gets a, a new pair of cleats, you know, for their little league or whatever. They want to wear them babies everywhere they go. So I'd show up Sunday morning ready to go to church with my cleats on, you know what I mean? The king's business requires haste, all right? So, and, and I'd hear, what are you wearing? That isn't appropriate. That isn't right for now, and, and rightfully so. And as parents, you know, you, you want to give kids leeway to express themselves, but there's certain times it's just not appropriate. You know, they got a, a new winter coat and it's 75 degrees out, so, you know, no, now's not the right time for that. But I honestly think that God many times would be saying to us, what are you wearing? And in this passage that we look at, He says, I want you to put off this and to put on this. Um, Because, He says, this is not becoming, this is not what a Christian should should be wearing. This is not something that, as believers, we should put on. And so in this passage, he, he goes over it, but he, he comes at it much stronger than put this off and put this on. In verse 5, he says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, and he lists a list beginning in verse 5, and he lists another list in verses 7 and 8, and um, those are the things that we are to put off. And we'll look first at that, what it is to put off. But as I said, he uses terms much more... um, emphatic, much more demanding than to put off. He uses the term put to death or mortify in, in some translations. The word mortify comes from the same Latin word that we get the term mortuary. It's a place where you put dead people, mortuary. Mortify means to put to death. Paul is painting a very strong picture here, one suggesting we're, we're not to, to just kind of 
gently deal with these things. We're not to overlook them. We're not to try to control evil acts. We are to put them to death. And, and in the original language, how he uses it, he's using it emphatically. And he uses the original language that they knew that he was in essence almost shouting, I want you to kill sin in your own life. In, in the book of Colossians, as we've seen, he dealt with the doctrinal foundation. This is the teaching that Christ is all. That everything centers on Christ. Christ plus nothing else. Christ is all. And now he's coming to, to put it in life. He's saying, since this is truth, since you are in Christ, he says, now this is how it ought to work out of your life. And he goes into the practical aspect. And you'll notice he's saying, I want you to deal with sin in your own life, to mortify, to kill it, to slay it utterly is, is the terms that expressed here. In Romans chapter 6, he says another way, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Now, we all have a tendency to want to notice and kill sin in someone else's life. But that isn't what he's saying. We, we get upset and want to deal with sin in society. But he's bringing it to us personally. And every dealing with sin has to begin with us. And, and what he's saying, he's putting the responsibility on the believers at the church at Colossae. And he's telling them that it is important for us to personally deal with sin and to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. But this isn't a work that the flesh can do to the flesh. It, it doesn't work that way. It has to be through the, the grace and the power of God. So he's saying through, and we'll get to this in a little bit later, how do I do this? In this passage he mentions it. But we want to look briefly at the two lists that he gives in verse 5 and verse 8. The first list basically deals with sexual sins. The second list with social sins. They're, they're kind of set in contrast. The first is a perverted love. The second is a wicked hate. The first list begins with the acts and then moves to the motives, and we'll get to that. The second list begins with the motives and moves to the acts. So, um, beginning in verse 5, he says, Put to death your members which are on the earth. And, and he begins dealing with this list that is a personal list. They are passion sins. They're related to feelings and the flesh. And he moves from the actual sin back to the motive. And he's saying here, 
These are things that we must deal radically with in our own life. So let's, let's just quickly look at these. Fornication. Fornication, the original word is pornea. It is where we get the term pornography from. The, the Greek word that he used here is any forbidden sexual sin. Now, all sexual activity outside of marriage, not between a man and a woman, is forbidden. That's been God's plan since the very beginning. It's always been God's plan. It always will be God's plan. And Paul writing this to the church at Colossae, it was a society that honestly makes our society look pretty good. Prostitution and sex orgies were a part of religious practices in these days. So Paul coming on, it wasn't like he's preaching something that is well received. He's, he's identifying root issues. And he says here, he begins with this, any forbidden sexual sin. And it covers a broad spectrum. And, and we're not going to belabor the point, but this is something that wasn't well received in the time this was written. And in many cases today, it's not well received. But we are not called to preach what is well received in a church or in our own personal lives. We're not called to live what is well received. We're called to speak and live the truth. And the more it becomes unpopular to speak the truth, the more it is necessary to speak the truth. We could, we could do a, a long series on what God says about this, um, but we don't have the time today. But to sum it up, as we've already said, this is the first thing that he begins with here, it, any forbidden sexual sin. Now, let me just back up a little bit. As human beings, we are ever wanting what is forbidden. Since the Garden of Eden, since man's temptation into sin in the Garden of Eden and are yielding to that, ever since then, mankind across the board has wanted what is forbidden. So he begins by saying, any forbidden sexual sin. We said he's starting with the act and he's moving down and will eventually get to the motive. He then says uncleanness. Put away fornication, uncleanness. Here he's now dealing with evil thoughts, filthy thoughts, filthy intentions, what goes on in the heart and mind. And we know the Bible teaches as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So, all our actions spring from our heart. And that's why he says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So it's not just stop this action. Let's go where this action has its birth. 
And it's, it's in our thoughts. And so he deals with this. Evil thoughts, filthy thoughts, evil intentions, filthy intentions. And then he goes on and he says, passion or inordinate affection. It's a, it's a improper sexual passion that lays latent within us. But it's there, and it's fed, and it's nourished. This is what he's, what he's talking about here. And, and then he says, and evil desires. Evil desires. It is now, the, the term that he uses there means it's not a latent passion anymore. It is now been fanned and flamed and it is brought to light and it is the, the very term that is used there, it is it is like a forest fire. It is forceful, it is an evil desired fired up in a in a fired up kind of manner. So he's going through this. And he started with the broad statement, then he says you need to deal with the evil thoughts that you have, and you're feeding these latent passions. He isn't saying passion is bad. The term that he uses there is, is a term that means the, the forbidden sexual thoughts that you're thinking in your heart and mind. Those passions, we are to be passionate. It's not saying we should just be wallflowers and... No, we are to be passionate in what we do. We ought to love God fervently. And then he says, this evil desire is where it, it comes to fruition. And now he gets down to the basic motive of it. And he says, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is, as you know, Listed in the first of the Ten Commands. It's the last command that was given. Some say it's the last command because it covers all sin. And it really does. Covetousness is desiring what is forbidden. All of that comes out of the core, as we mentioned a moment ago, of we as human beings, we have a desire for what is forbidden. Whenever we are covetous, we are saying, I am not happy with what God has given me, and I desire what He hasn't given me. That's a covetous spirit. And all sin springs from this. And yet, when is the last time you have confessed covetousness or ever heard anyone confess covetousness? We really don't deal with it. And yet, it's desiring that which God has not seen fit to give to us. And he says it is idolatry. I want what I want, no matter what God says, that's idolatry. That's worshiping my desires more than I worship God. 
See, we either worship God or we worship ourselves. It is the worship of, of self that then produces these lists that he gives in verse 5. And it is that covetousness. I desire this, and I desire it, and I pursue after it, and even though God has not given it to me, I am pursuing it. See, in, in every area of our life, the covetousness is what is behind every sin. And the cure for covetousness is contentment. It is the only cure for covetousness. Covetousness says, God, you cheated me out of something. That's exactly in the Garden of Eden what happened. Satan tempted Adam and Eve. God's holding something back from you. He's cheating you out of this. Covetousness is, God, I've worked hard, I've done this, and I still don't have that. Well, God is the one that blesses. God is the one that withholds. Covetousness also says, I don't know why you made me the height I am or the build I am, or I don't know why you allowed this to come into my life. I think I deserve this. See, all of that's covetousness. It's not accepting what God has given us. It's desiring what He has withheld from us. And the outworking of that is, I don't care, I'm going to go get it. And then it's the list of sins. So, in the passage it says, yeah, you need to kill this, you need to stop this, you need... But he goes right to the root of it. And he says, what you need to do is learn to be content in Christ. You need to deal with the root of covetousness. Contentment is the only cure for covetousness. So, now he goes in, in verse 8, and he deals with another list. And this second list are things that we need to put to death, need to put off. And he lists these, and they are more social sins, dealing with, with others. And, and he lists, put off all these, anger. And the word that he uses here is like a smoldering, resenting bitterness. It's like there's a reservoir of anger that is there. And if it's jostled too much, it will spill out. The, the smolding, um, when, we, when we've had brush piles or piles of junk that were burning, and it, it's, it looks like it's all burned down, but if you go stir it up, you'll find there are red hot coals underneath and and it doesn't take much you think this is this is dead and gone and and you just stir it up and a little puff of wind comes and before you know it there's flames there he's saying 
we need to deal with the anger, the smoldering, resenting bitterness that again goes back to covetousness. I'm bitter because I didn't get this or I'm this or they have that. That resenting bitterness, that reservoir of anger that is filling up, and then he uses the word wrath. That's when the smoldering turns into the flame. That's when it is uh, set on fire. It is furious. It is set on fire. Literally, it means. And then he uses the word malice. These all aren't the same thing. Malice, then, is what comes out of your mouth. See, I'm, I'm going through life and I have this this smoldering resentment and bitterness, which, if I were to say one common ailment among people today, it's, it's this spirit of bitterness. Because we've emphasized our rights, we emphasize what I deserve, we've elevated self. And, and so you see this and you say, I don't know what happened, man, he just blew. There's been this spirit of of resentment that they're going through life with and something happens to to stir up the embers and it bursts into a flame and then what happens out of our mouth is the malice that he's talking about here. And then it turns into blasphemy. And, and we think of blasphemy as against God, but what he's using here is when I speak evil of someone made in the image of God, I am blaspheming God. That idiot blockhead, why did he pull out in front of me? God says that's blasphemy. Does God look at him as an idiot, as a blockhead, as... That's being polite here today, okay. But see, those things... And in many of our lives, our reservoir is so full that all it takes is someone pulling out in front of us and it spills over. And he says, you need to go to the root of these things. And this is blasphemy. If I got up here today and said, Jesus Christ is just a man, He's not God, you'd say, that's blasphemy. And and I ought to be out of here. But what this passage is saying, when we have this anger and it fans up in, into the wrath and comes out of our mouth and we speak evil of others, anytime you slander man, you're slandering God. And then, he says, then it proceeds with filthy language. And, and ultimately ends in lying, which is the opposite of truth. God is truth. Satan is the father of lies. So all of these are um, interpersonal relations and, and all of these are um, issues in dealing with people. That's why many times people love to just withdraw from people to the point that I don't want to deal with people. 
And I can understand that. People are weird. People are traitors. People are um, two-faced. But just remember, you're a people too. And I'm a people. We're all the same. And remember, as a Christian, God has called us to function together in a body. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But he then says that these are things that we need to put to death. We need to put them off. We need to, this isn't becoming. Why are you wearing this? So we ask the question, why kill these sins? Number one, verse six, because of these things, the list that he gives, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. So first of all, we need to deal severely. These are, these are not thistles. They are not multifloral roses. These are deadly, deadly sins that grip our hearts. And, number one, the wrath of God is upon these. We think, well, I'm sure God thinks that guy's a blockhead too. Uh, I don't think so. In fact, the wrath of God is upon us because of that. God is a God of love and God is a God of wrath. And this is Scripture. And he said, we need to get serious with these things. And we need to deal with them in our own lives And we need to walk in victory over this because the wrath of God. This brings the damnation of God. And to a child of God, it brings the chastening of God in our life. Secondly, in verse 7, he says, In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. He said, these are the things that you used to do before you became spiritually alive. It isn't becoming of a Christian to wear this behavior. It it is not what God wants. You're wearing the wrong uniform. You're going back and being on the wrong side. You're showing you're against God. It isn't becoming of a Christian. And in 1 Corinthians 6, he wrote to the church at Corinth. He said, this is what, this is what you were. Such were some of you. you. You were fornicators. You were unclean and lived in the passions of yourself. You were angry and filled with wrath. But he said, such were some of you. Now you are washed. Now you are justified. Now you are cleansed. Walk as reflective of, of the work that God has done in your life. So he says, these are all the negative things. And you need to deal seriously, very, very seriously with these. I mean, put to death. It is, as we said, Paul is shouting... Kill this sin in your life. Do whatever you, t- whatever you have to do to do this. And, and he gives us the reason. It brings the wrath of God. It's not becoming of a Christian. 
Now, beginning in verse 12, and I'm going to ask Jay if he'll bring up our memory verses. And this is the perfect time for us to review them. So let's stand together. This is your intermission, all right? You can't go to the concession stand right now, but this is our intermission. We want to look at these next verses. And if you have them memorized, um, say them. If you don't, read them. And, um, and I want you to think of these in light of this. Now, he's saying, he has just said, put off all these things. All right? Now notice what he says as we say together. Ready? Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your heart, to which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Thank you. You may be seated. So, uh, we're, we're not going to take much time, but I want us to go through this. All of these are interpersonal things. All of these are, are dealing with people. He's not saying be merciful to yourself, be kind to yourself, be humble to... All of these are things that God designed us to learn and bingo, His design was a church. And in a church, there's difficult people, right? Exhibit A, right here. I can be difficult at times, alright? Look in the mirror and you'll see another difficult person. We all can be very difficult. And, and so, you know, many people, I, I want to I go to a church that, that makes me happy and, and there's no problems in it. The only church that will never have no problems in it is a church with no people in it. Because people are problems. But we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. And He says, the problems aren't the problem. The problem is how we respond to the problem. And He says, this is now how we ought to respond. I want you to put on a heart that is overflowing with mercy, compassion. What is one of the things you read about Jesus? He was moved with compassion. He looked on the multitude and he said, what a bunch of fools. No. He was moved with compassion. Bowels of mercy. Kindness. We don't need to explain what kindness is. 
Do unto others what you would want them to do unto you. Humility. This is the opposite of self-love. Self-love is at the root of every destroyed relationship. Self-love poisons relationships. Humility is, it's not about me. I'm, I'm willing to serve. It's not about me. Meekness. It's a willingness to suffer injury rather than inflict it. If someone has to suffer, let it be me. It's giving up my rights for the benefit of others. That is totally opposite of self-love. Totally foreign to it. It is long-suffering, he mentions. Patient. Not getting cynical or critical or angry with others. See, it's, it's bearing long, patient with them. And, and it's so easy, it is so easy to become cynical. It's so easy to be critical. It's, it's so easy just to write people off. It's so easy to be impatient. And it doesn't come natural. We can only get this through God. And, and it's a, I wish it was a one-time getting, but it's a continual thing that you have to continually be getting. It's long-suffering. It's forbearance. Just to help you understand that, it just means you bear up under. You endure. Life is hard. And there are many, many things that don't go the way we want it to go. But through God's grace and God's power, we bear up under it. We endure it. We are not cynical and critical and negative. And then he says, forgiveness. Forgiving one another. And he said, just in case you forget what forgiveness is and what our model is, he said, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. Were you deserving of forgiveness? No. Who initiated the forgiveness? God did. Go back and look at God's forgiveness. I could never forgive that person. None of us will ever experience the shame, rejection, and hurt that we brought to God and He was willing to forgive us. Forgiveness. And then he says, and above all these things, put on charity or love. And I know you're probably tired of hearing me reference this all the time, but the 24 love characteristics that, that Paul David Tripp put out, if, if you think you have love mastered, read those. And they hold the model before what? Or read 1 Corinthians 13. And read it and read it and read it and apply it to every situation in your life. And he then goes on and he says, And let the peace of God rule in your heart to which you are called in one body. He's writing to this. And, and sure, there are things that come in that can disturb the peace. But he says, no, let peace rule in your heart. The term he uses is, 
is, is the term of an umpire. Peace is the umpire in your heart. And the umpire goes, Ow! There are things in your life that out of here. Nope, don't think that thought. Don't say that. And there are other things the peace of God says. Safe! And it is important for us to let the peace of God rule in our heart and be thankful. All these things are things, he says, I want you to put on. All of these are people related. That means family. That means church. That means community. All of them are in relation to people. And that's why we need to ask, okay, God, all these events that come into our lives, we need to ask, God, what is it I need to put on right now? What is it you are trying to teach me right now? So how do I do this? Quickly, verse 1. How do I put off all these things and put on all these things? It is impossible. I can't do it. Number one, verse one, if then you are raised with Christ. And really it means since you are a new creature in Christ Jesus, since you are a believer, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind or your affections on things above, not on the earth. So he says, first of all, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Everything in this earth except people is going to be gone, is going to be dissolved. It's, it's done and over. And we love these things, and a wise man loves, builds his life around that which cannot be taken away from him. A secure person is one who has built his life around that which cannot be taken away. You know what that comes down to? Your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that involves how we interact with others. But our first love ought to be God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Set your sights on the rich treasures and the joys of heaven. Then, verse 16, we quoted it earlier. How do I put off and put on? You must let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. I mean, that's not you get a little sample of the Word today. It's not you get a little more on Sunday or whatever. It. I want the Word of God to dwell in me richly. Marilyn has a recipe for cinnamon rolls that requires six sticks of butter. That's richly. Okay? And there's times, there's times she'll say, Ah, butter's getting expensive. I think I'll only use four. And everybody in the house says, No, use six. Try seven. Why? Because that's what makes it good. It's richly. We're going on half a stick of butter spiritually cinnamon rolls, if you know what I'm talking about. And we're wondering why we're struggling putting off this and putting on this. 
It's let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. The more of the Word you get, the more power you'll have to not let self rule and to let God rule. The more power you'll have to see people with compassion, to have kindness and humility of mind, and the other things that he mentioned. So it's let the Word dwell in you richly. And then thirdly, verse 17 And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Live entirely for the Lord. See, it's not about me. It's not about us. It's it's not about making life comfortable for me. There, There come many surprises in life. There come difficulties in life. And every time, if we're a child of God, we ought to be asking, God, what is it? How do you want me to respond? This is how I feel like responding. I'm not putting up with this. But God, how do you want me to respond? And God will show us how he wants us to respond. And, and we need to ask, God, how do you want me to glorify you in this situation? It's all about you. I mean, your name is not going to last forever. In fact, in most cases, the grandkids won't even know your story or who you are. I hate to pop your bubble, I hate to, but it's a reality. And the great-grandkids, by and large, won't have a clue who you were. Oh, some old guy, Dennis St. Lawrence, used to live. I don't even know. It's the way it's going to be. But his name lasts forever. So to live your life for His name. And, and in every situation, and again, as I said earlier, it's not the situations, it's not the circumstances, it's not the problems, it's how we respond to them. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. And if we go to God and say, I, I want to glorify you in whatever comes in my life. God, I need your grace. This is beyond me. Man, I'm, I'm at wit's end. I had one nerve left and they're jumping on it right now. And God, I can't do this. I need your power. I need your strength. That's when we walk in victory. When we're committed to live entirely for the Lord. We've said it often, but there are only two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. And in every situation, we need to differentiate. God, what is it that's pleasing to you and what is it that's pleasing to self? And every day we have hundreds of opportunities to please self or please God. Every day, every day. Over and over again, it's not a one-time decision. I wish it were a one-time decision. But it's two choices. Pleasing God or pleasing self. Heavenly Father, I pray that hearts would be encouraged today to know that we don't have to be in bondage to sin. We don't need to be controlled by that which comes into our life, that we're not slaves to circumstances, but Lord, 
I pray that we would know the power of you at work in our lives. And, and Lord, I pray that if there are any here today that have, are not in Christ, they've never called upon you for the forgiveness of sin, Lord, I pray today that they would do that and have your power at work to give us victory over our, our own desires and our own passions and our own resentments. And Lord, I pray that we would know the power of You at work in our lives. I pray for every one of us as believers. Lord, I have no idea the events that are in believers' lives here today. But Lord, I know whatever they are, You want us to glorify You through them. And we can through Your power. So Lord, may we walk in Your power. And may we know the working of You that... We are committed that whatever we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, it would all be done to the glory of you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.